This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Wednesday, June 8th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we return to our exclusive conversation with D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti. In the second portion of the interview, we shift our focus from the response to mass shootings and gun violence to the state of public safety in the nation's capital. We have to invest in our police officers, but I also think we have to invest in our young people. We have to be invest in communities. We have to do this and that, not this or that. And Chief Conti shares his thoughts on the competition to hire police officers, where the city's force strength stands, and why he isn't willing to lower standards for incoming officers. I'd rather have less police officers in terms of number, but they are highly qualified, mm. as opposed to making adjustments to the standard. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. We pick up our conversation with D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti after he called for significant changes to the criminal justice ecosystem in the district. We asked the chief what exactly needs to change to make D.C. a safer city and what he needs from the next mayor to make some of these changes that are so dire. So I think uh, continued support um, for safer communities. And that comes in the form of several things. It comes in the form of um, more police officers. Some people might argue, oh, well, you know, we don't need any more police officers. Okay, until until those things happen in your community and we really don't have enough officers. You look at, like, what's happening in Alexandria Mm -hmm. uh, recently where they talked about, uh, you know, not providing services because they just don't have the capacity uh, to do it. And I mean, the continued support for the law enforcement officers that we need in our city. The reality is in this city, when you pick up the phone, you call 911, you get one police department and that's the Metropolitan Police Department. So people try to use this, you know, oh, well, D.C. has more police officers than, you know, per capita and all this. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Well, yeah, everybody's responsible for their little piece of the pie. But when you call 911, it's the Metropolitan Police Department that respond that responds to that. So continue support for our law enforcement officers. Uh, I think we have to continue to focus on these issues involving juvenile juveniles and public safety has to remain at the top, really at the top of the uh, at the top of the list. Uh, You know, people want to come to a city where they feel safe. That's important. And when you're talking about uh, how people feel right, that that that's a that's a that's a tough thing. Right. To measure. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily measured in crime stats. You can say like, oh, you know, our number of assaults with dangerous weapons are down 4%. Well, if you one of the people who had a gun put in your face, right. that number really doesn't mean anything to you. Right. Right? Whether we got 70 homicides or seven homicides, again, if your family member was the victim of the homicide or it happened in your block or it happens on a place like 14th Street last year where, where it shocks the conscience of people, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. it feels differently yeah. there. So I think that we have to continue to focus on public safety uh, as one of the number one things in our city, um, you know, for whoever, you know, whoever is in that in that spot. I am fascinated by the arc of your career just because you started as a young guy with D.C. police. Then you end up taking this role 
four days before January 6th. And in the middle of all that, we have the Black Lives Matter movement. We have the defund the police movement. I mean, what a time to be a police officer. Have you sat down with any of those folks? I mean, I know it's been a, a whirlwind since you took this role, but have you had the chance to engage in those conversations that really were at the height of their strength when you took this office? Well, I'm talking to people about these issues all the time. Um, you know, maybe not a particular person okay. for one particular, but yeah. I'm having these discussions with folks uh, all the time about, um, you know, what my thoughts are, what my vision is for the department. And the I'm guessing you're not are... pro defund the police. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I think that we have to invest in our police officers, but I also think we have to invest in our young people. We have to be invest in communities. We have to do this and that, not this or that. Right. It shouldn't be policing at the cost of these other things or these other things at the cost of policing. I want to live in a safe city where where I have where I have both of these things. I mean, Washington, D.C. I mean, it's not like we are an impoverished city. Right. I mean, we're, we're just we're just not. That's not the state of affairs here in the District of Columbia. This is a beautiful, vibrant city. And we got a lot of people here and there's a lot of power here in this city. And I believe that we are. We can be the safest city in America. I absolutely believe that. I, I, I believe that. Yeah. We can be the safest city in America, absolutely, but we all really need to be on the same page. I have to ask about violence interruption because it's a huge part of this conversation. And since the last in the last two years, like you said, there's been a diversion of funds to try and get these programs up and running and be successful. Have you seen any concrete change when it comes to prevention or any, I mean, anything we can point to that shows that violence interruption works? I think that that will be a, a hard thing um, to measure. Like homicides, right? How do you measure the homicides that you prevent? How do you know what that number is, the homicides that you prevent? You, 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 you don't, a, right? You don't, right? So in the space of violence interruption, right, here's what we know. If homicides were down in the city, there'd be 30 people lined up taking credit for it, right? Right. But... Now that we're experiencing an uptick in homicides, like, okay, there, you know, people kind of look at the police, right? Like, hey, you guys, right? So I think it's part of that entire conversation. Right. I, I think that we have to, you know, everybody, everybody has to take ownership of where we are uh, right now with respect to the number of people that have been murdered in our city. I'm not insinuating it's not working. Yeah. I just want to know, I mean, because we've put as a city so much emphasis on these different programs and reaching people in a different way. And maybe that's the way to do it. But I wonder from a data standpoint or as as the chief, what are you looking to from these programs that you say, yes, this is working? So I think that quite honestly, I mean, the the measure of success for me would be the number of lives that get changed as a result of being impacted by these by the people who are doing that kind of work. Right. I mean, it was life changing for me joining the police cadet program at 17, Mm -hmm. right? That was life-changing for me. It changed the trajectory of my life. I wasn't in the street. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. And so now, as the chief, you know, my way of contributing to that is expanding our police cadet program. As an example, you got young people at the age of 17, upon graduation from high school, they can start while they're in high school part-time, but upon graduation, we're paying these young people $36,000 a year. But that's not a living wage in D.C., that's going to change the life of the trajectory of life for a person who's 17 years of age. You don't have many kids in the city mm. making $36,000 a That's year. That's a good point. That's a good with point. With health insurance, yeah. with leave, right. and their college education being paid for. And they you can only go up from there. Exactly. Right. Mm. So, so, so that's, that's my, in the space where I am, 
that's my contribution, right? All arresting people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I have that responsibility too. But that's my contribution. And I think as a business owner, right? Like, hey, what is it that I can do uh-huh. in this space, yeah. right? Everyone has to assess, like, what's your contribution through that lens? And it's not just, oh, it's just the work of the police or it's just the work of the government or it's just the work of this nonprofit. If we're going to see something different, it's going to take a whole city approach. And so moving to this topic of recruitment and getting you know mm. people in the police department, how are those efforts going? Where does D.C. police stand as far as manpower and what you guys need? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a difficult space um, to navigate that MPD, uh, as well as law enforcement agencies in this region, law enforcement agencies in this country. I was just with major city chiefs mm. a couple of days back, and I mean, it's an area where everyone is struggling in. I'm hopeful that with some of the new things uh, Mayor Bowser put forward recently, supported by the council with respect to uh, signing bonuses like for our officers. I mean, that's if you look in the national landscape, uh, you know, that's becoming a common thing yeah. in this space of law enforcement to attract officers. So in, a, in an environment here in the nation's capital where you literally have 50 agencies that you can choose from that you want to be part of and all of them are hiring. What sets you apart from everyone else? Right. And those are the things that we're trying to do. Uh, through our recruitment efforts to focus on women, to focus on minorities, to focus on people who want to be part of an international police department in an international city such as Washington, D.C. So we are hiring our force strength right now. Uh, We're just above 3,500. That's down significantly from where we were uh, two years ago. That's like down 500, isn't it? Uh, it, Well, it's down about 300 from from the point where I took over. We are hiring Uh, police officers, but I would like to see uh, certainly a more robust uh, pipeline of police officers Mm -hmm. uh, that we have in the pipeline to to bring on. We hire a class every month. Uh, Certainly there's a lot of discussion that happens in the space of standards and you know, will we change the standards to hire police officers? You know, some departments have resolved to, to change some of their, their standards. You know, I'm not looking to, to do that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to maintain a very high standard of police officers. I'd rather have less police officers in terms of number, but they are highly qualified mm-hmm. as opposed to making adjustments uh, to the standard and then having more police officers. I don't think that that, that really puts us ahead. You're talking about our qualifications to be a police officer. Yes. So no marijuana, previous kind of drug convictions. They have to have a certain level of education, yes. that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And what about the officers currently? What's morale like? You know, January 6th was very difficult. Obviously, the defund police movement raised some difficult questions, too. What is the morale of current officers? So um, I think, you know, we're doing okay, uh, but we could be doing a, a lot better. I think that the challenges that still exist, you know, if you're a police officer and you have to work mandatory overtime and you're away from your family and, you know, we got several weekends just in the month where we have things that are coming up. We have a Supreme Court decision that's looming. We had truckers a couple of months ago. Then we had truckers again. I mean, all those things impact folk, the officers, their quality of life. Uh, The thing that I'm trying to give them is great leadership so that in that, while they're doing the things that they got to do, that they're able to come to work and still do their jobs. And I think that shows up uh, when you talk about, again, the number of guns that have been recovered Mm -hmm. by police officers. They're still out there working despite the national narrative, despite anything else, any other distraction that might be going on. These police officers are coming to work every day and they're doing their job. And after the break... We asked Chief Conti whether his officers will be able to trust D.C.'s crime lab if it gets reaccredited after botching forensic investigations. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. 
You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve the show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We return now to our conversation with the chief and shifting gears a little bit here to um, another arm of the criminal justice system in D.C., the Department of Forensic Sciences, the city's crime lab. Do you think that the city is taking seriously the reaccreditation of the Department of Forensic Sciences? Because if it is reaccredited, obviously then it can start processing crime scene evidence again. The ATF goes away. These different labs, the DEA, who've been helping out with, you know, processing drug, gun, forensic evidence, it goes back to DFS. Are you worried about your officers having a lack of trust with DFS if and when they are reaccredited? Um, so I believe that they're taking that very seriously. The deputy mayor of uh, public safety, Chris Geldart, is at the helm of that effort, really trying to uh, get things done and working very closely with the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Office of the Attorney General, right. uh, to make sure that all the T's are crossed and all I's are dotted. And I'm, I'm confident that they will get there. Um, I'm not close enough to it to know when that will be. You know, my concern is that we are able to still move forward with the day-to-day things that our officers do. Our officers don't get to take a break from fighting crime. We don't get to take a break from recovering guns. I mean, we still have to go out there. There's a crime scene somewhere right now in the city that our officers are responding to. So my focus has been making sure that we are still able to do the work of the people for the people of the District of Columbia. And they are, are in fact, uh, doing that. Uh, with respect to the trust uh, part of things, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, just kind of the, in the business of law enforcement, uh, we have experienced uh, relationship challenges in the past with folks. So, um, you know, this is not uh, from through that lens, it's not a new thing for us to have to hit the reset button and say, mm. OK, uh, once the new team is in place, uh, they'll have their shot to do the things that they need to do and they have accreditation and we'll move forward from this. And I think the city will be better for it. And speaking about this you know, issue of trust in our agency or in our um, organization, you know, there was a hack on the Metropolitan Police Department, D.C. Police, you know, back in April 2021. Is the department now secure, you know, as far as a hacking perspective or what work has been done to kind of mitigate that risk from happening again? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the things that I learned as we went through that process is that uh, you're never absolutely 100% secure. WTOP is not absolutely 100% secure. We're not inviting any ideas, though. We're not inviting (laughs) any ideas, but that's one of the things that's because that was my question. Like, how can we absolutely make sure that this doesn't happen again for my members? And I mean, and as I learned from our IT uh, folks that, you know, there are things that they can put in place and they put um, additional uh, mechanisms in place or safeguards in place to uh, help put us in the best possible defensible position uh, if someone were to attack our system. In the wake of this hack, we learned of internal review boards, the Adverse Action Panel, and that there were you know 24 officers that internally were recommended to be fired. And then this internal review board you know said, no, and I believe you were sitting on one of those boards. Mm-hmm. The public saw that and that 
was difficult from a public trust perspective. You know, how do you answer that and um, where do you go from there? Yeah, so I think it's important to recognize first and foremost that that was um, hacked information, right? So the, the, the accuracy and, 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 and context, I, I think a lot of that was missing uh, from all of that. You know, you're talking about 24 cases out of how many? Right. Twenty four cases out of how many cases that happened over the course of a 10 or 15 year period. You're talking about 24 cases. Any one case is disturbing. But there are a lot of things about a disciplinary process that are not it's not common information to the general public. For example, I'll just use this as an example. Um, One of the major issues that we've had in our process is uh, some of the decisions that happen as a result of something that happened 10 years ago. Let's say an officer got in trouble for a thing, whatever this thing is, 10 years ago. And that officer received a 10-day suspension 10 years ago for that thing. Mm -hmm. And fast forward 25 years now, this officer, I decide that I'm going to fire this officer for that same thing that somebody 10 years ago got, uh, or somebody uh, some years ago got a 10-day suspension for. Mm. An arbitrator would overturn that decision for that officer who I terminated and they will pay them back pay, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, restore their time as if they had never left the police department. So sometimes when those decisions have been made over the years, it's essentially a business decision. Mm. Like, should this guy come back or, or be back employed with the Metropolitan Police Department, paid $800,000 because he's been gone for eight years, right? Let's just say $100,000 right. a year. He gets $800,000 for something that he did, but an arbitrator overturns that decision. Something about that doesn't sound right to me. So maybe a decision is made, okay, instead of doing that, because we know based on past practice that this person will get their job back, maybe what we will do is suspend this guy for 30 days as opposed to terminate him. So there is some accountability there. Mm -hmm. I would say a person who's terminated and then comes back to the police department and we are forced to take a person back and we're forced to pay them back and we're forced to give them their time as if they had never left the police department, that's not a good look for our city. It's not a good look for our police department, but it's the system that we had. So decisions have been made uh, over the course of the years. There's legislation uh, that has been passed, and with the new contract that will come out, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, there's some changes that we can make uh, in our disciplinary process where we're not held by whatever a previous standard was 10 or 15 years ago. We're not held to that standard. I want to go to uh, violence on mass transit. Last Mm. weekend, we had a stabbing on Metro bus in Northwest. Um, I want to ask specifically before I continue my question, did we ever get a suspect description for that guy? Because we understood that this happened. Someone was stabbed in the neck. It seems to me like if I was riding Metro bus, I'd want to look out for somebody who's. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that one specifically. And and part of it is because so crimes that happen on on Metro are investigated by Metro Transit Police. Unless it is a homicide, then we would investigate it. We do, however, work very closely uh, with them. And I I know we hear the stories about mass transit and safety issues, et cetera. Uh, They are, uh, right now, our transit folks, uh, they are uh, up a little bit in terms of, like, uh, assaults on... um, on the uh, on the metro system, but you know overall, when you talk about you know crime on there, I mean they're about even to where they were last year. So no mm. serious uptick in crime. It's when um, now you know there are certain you know there are media outlets all over the place, and we tweet out everything. Every you know we we bombard people with information every time there's an incident. Right. We, and then so we're, they're we're aware, people, yeah, right, yeah, so yeah. that they're aware. So I think when people see that, you know, sometimes people are a lot 
you know, un- or are very uneasy about that. I mean, I certainly, um, you know, feel safe. You kind of took my next question from me, but I was just making sure that, I mean, people are coming back on the metro. I mean, people are coming back to work. It's one of the things that makes you feel safe in a city mm-hmm. if you can get around that city safely. Sure. Um, do you think that there, there more needs to be done as far as, I mean, are you guys patrolling around metro stations more? I mean, speaking to the teenage issue, a lot of teenagers are hanging on the metro, kind of using it as their playground sometimes, yes. getting to and from. I mean, what, how do you respond to metro when it isn't technically your jurisdiction, yeah. but that is, you know, one of the places that yeah. makes you So we work very closely here. with them. I, mean, I can think of several stations where we, you know, we, we patrol together, either on the platform or up top. You know, MPD wouldn't be on the platform necessarily, but mm-hmm. up top. Columbia Heights, Chinatown, the Anacostia Metro Station, stations where we've had issues, um, you know, those are areas that we work with our partners at Metro. They are a very valued partner. And, you know, I, I think it's important, again, for things to be in context, right? I mean, we're seeing it on, on our side um, with respect to some of the crimes that we investigate here in the city. For the last two years, the city has essentially been shut down, right, due to the pandemic. And now that you have more people going back to work, bars, restaurants, Mm -hmm. all those things opening up, car break-ins go up. Because two years ago, last year and the year before, there were no cars to break into, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so you start to see those things go up. So I would anticipate, right, if I had a little crystal ball here, that more people on the metro system, more kids on the metro system, I mean, you could see um, an uptick in some categories, but not anything that would, you know, like, like, you know, I'm, oh my God, I'm just Mm -hmm. fearful. You know, I don't want anybody riding the metro. We are a far cry uh, from that. We have a beautiful subway system. Yeah, there are some areas where we can certainly uh, make some improvements and so forth, and everybody wants to be safe. We don't want to hear about people getting shot, stabbed, or otherwise assaulted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on any of our metro systems. But I feel very, very confident with the metro system we have here. And before we end here, you know, we've been talking a lot about what keeps you up at night. But, you know, what about this city, about your police department, makes you wake up? It's the people. Uh, I love this city, man. I love this. Uh, this is this is a beautiful, beautiful city. I love absolutely love this city. Uh, I was having lunch on um, Sunday before I took my son to get his hair cut. We were at Chicken and Whiskey down on 14th Street after going to Ted Bulletin, and they were a little crowded. But um, you know, we had we had lunch down on 14th Street, and I was just you know just kind of taking it all in. And yeah. while I'm sitting, beautiful there, day. It was a beautiful day, and while I'm sitting there with my son, right again, I'm thinking about, I'm looking around. The city is just buzzing, and I'm looking around at all the people, and I was thinking back like you know a year ago around this time we had a shooting on 14th Street. Mm. But our city is resilient. Mm. You would never know it's sitting there. We are resi- yeah. We are a resilient city. This is my opportunity to serve. A city that has birthed me, that has raised me over the years, that have given me an incredible opportunity to see the world literally because of this police department. And this is my opportunity to give back, to give the police department great leadership, to give the city great leadership in this space, and do all that I can to make this the safest city in America. DC Police Chief Robert Conti, thank you so much thank for spending you, your day with us. Thank we appreciate you. it. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download. We're sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate this show if you get the chance today, and follow us on social media where we're posting content every day. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, everyone.